Welcome everybody, it's Richard Krause coming to you from Isolation Studios in downtown Toronto. Another very quiet day on the streets. It seems like people are actually getting the message. They're staying home. They're socially isolating from one another. At least that's what I see as I look out my window. And by that I mean I don't see anybody on the streets out there. So that's a good thing. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay home. And we will get through this. In the meantime, though, there's lots of time to kill in a day-to-day way. So every day I'm putting up suggestions for movies that you can watch. You may have seen some of them. You may not have seen some of them. You may have something else to do. But I'll tell you, all these are available via streaming services. You can rent some of them. You can buy some of them. You can stream some of them. I'm cool with it all as long as it's legal. Let's not be illegally downloading things are crappy enough in the world without breaking the law to watch a movie. First up, let's talk about Mad Max Fury Road. It's the first Mad Max movie in decades, but it was really worth the wait. It is a chase movie where characters chase immortality, a new life in a better place, love, and one another across a vivid landscape. Gone are the gray tones of dystopian movies like The Road. In its place is a dusty but vibrant looking backdrop that frames the nonstop action. Director George Miller keeps the pedal to the metal, but unlike the Avengers Age of Ultron, which had a similar angle of attack, he keeps the action earthbound. The laws of physics are respected by the director's use of practical effects. So when a car blows up, it doesn't rocket into space, for instance. Most everything you see on the screen are actual stunts performed by real people and not generated by a clever computer operator in a studio later on. The organic nature of all, but not quite all, the visuals gives the movie extra torque, adding a sense of danger and realism, no matter how unreal the situation, to the large set pieces that make up the bulk of the film. Tom Hardy pulls his weight as Max. He is powerful physically, mixed with a haunted look, so maybe we should call him passive-aggressive Max. But his gearbox is permanently shifted to survival, and that makes him an imposing center of the film. But it is Charlize Theron who dominates. As Furiosa, she lives up to her name as a force to be reckoned with. She is a one-armed bandit, literally, who not only provides much of the action in the film, but its heart as well. The real star, though, is George Miller. Decades after he last played in Mad Max's world, he revisits it with a film that doesn't feel like a sequel or a reboot, but a fresh look at a familiar character. His off-the-wall sensibility and demented Hot Wheels-style designs give the movie a look and feel that no other director can replicate. I asked George Miller where the ideas for his character names and car designs come from. This is what he said. Well, like like all the cars and all the yeah. objects and every bit of costume, they're found objects, yeah. repurposed. So Furiosa, you want to describe the character, which it's Furio, Furio. Yeah. Imperator is the old Roman term, yeah. for, uh, so you mix that together. Uh, Nux at one time, and can't quite hear it very well, but instead of saying I should be feasting, with the immortal, with right. the hero, he says McFeasting, which is a corruption of, <laughs> yeah. of this. Uh, he, you know, he talks about shiny and chrome because there's a kind of uh, almost a, a, 
a semi-religious quality to vehicles and steering yeah. wheels and anything that survived the apocalypse and gets repurposed. Old, old, more robust technology, simpler technology. Yeah. You know, there's no microprocessors and, and, and computers in the cars. There's no crumple technology. Yeah. It, they're all stiff-bodied and so they're muscle cars and rat rods and, and so on. Yeah. So they get, we're going back all the way to the 30s yeah. because they're easy to fix. And that, therefore, they talk about shiny and chrome as yeah. being perfectly as the thing. Even the makeup, you know, yeah. he's got an en engine, an engine sort of scarified into his his body. So um, all, all of that, it's it's um, it it everything is found objects repurposed. Uh, they even use the word Valhalla because yeah. it's a, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a Scandinavian Viking warrior paradise. Uh, but they talk about uh, riding eternal on the highways of Valhalla, so yeah. it's kind, of, it's it, you know, it's it's, it's found objects uh, repurposed. Uh, that's where the language comes from, and that's a fun thing to do. Next up, let's have a look at Warm Bodies. The lead character of Warm Bodies, a zomcom from director Jonathan Levine, is a romantic at heart. His dead, unbeating heart. George A. Romero would barely recognize the zombies in Warm Bodies. They run, they fight like UFC fighters, and when they eat brains, they take on the memories of their meal. And that's essentially where this story begins. Nicholas Holt plays R, pronounced R, an existential zombie who wants more out of life or death or whatever it is that you call his current state. There's been a plague of some sort which has left him and most of the population hungry for brains while the sole human survivors live behind a giant wall. Zombies and humans alike are terrified of the bonies. Now those are evolved zombies who'll eat anything with a heartbeat. On a feeding trip, R encounters a team of humans on the search for supplies. One zombie attack later, and he's eaten the brains of Perry, played by Dave Franco. When he gets a glimpse of Perry's girlfriend, Julie, played by Teresa Palmer, he loses his appetite because Perry's memories come flooding into R's zombie brain, and he begins to feel something he hasn't felt for a long time. That's human emotions. It's The Walking Dead meets Romeo and Juliet with a twist. It just might be that love and hope can still set hearts aflutter, even ones that haven't beaten for a while. Warm Bodies is essentially one joke. The zombie is a metaphor for awkward teenage love, but it's a pretty good joke and really well-performed. Also, any movie with the line, I know it's really hard to meet guys now, dot, 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 in the apocalypse and everything, is okay by me. I spoke with Nicholas Holt and I asked him about preparing to play R. Did he study zombies or did he approach the role like a mime? Maybe like making a silent movie where he doesn't have any dialogue and the role is completely physical. Here's what he had to say. Uh, it was kind of from both from both angles a little bit. We watched, uh, me and Jonathan would sit through and watch a lot of zombie films and, and other things like Edward Scissorhands and all those sort of stories, mm -hmm. kind of you know monster movies where there's a lead character who's disconnected and, and doesn't really communicate very well. Um, but then for, for some of it, we'd go into, so we'd listen to like those zombie noises, but then uh, I, I worked on with my dialect coach and, and, and that was kind of like working on the American accent, but also zombifying it and then thinking about people who had um, brain injuries and had to relearn how to speak and muscle memory and all those Diving sort of things. Diving Bell and the Butterfly yeah, was yeah, what yeah, we talked about. Another great um, so there was so there was lots of stuff um, uh, going on. We did a load of work, and then but then turned up on set and just kind of made it up. 
Now, I know it's been pretty apocalyptic around here today, and I guess that's the times we're in right now, so let's have a look at a different kind of film. Francis Ha. That's the seventh film from Greenbird director Noah Baumbach, and it isn't so much a traditional narrative as it is a character study of Francis, played by Greta Gerwig, an underemployed dancer struggling to find herself in New York City. It plays like a cleaned-up black-and-white version of Girls, an emotionally rich and funny portrait of 20-something ennui. Francis Ha is a collection of details. There's an engaging story, but it's not exactly laid out in three acts. It feels more intimate and more raw than the usual 20-ish something crisis flick. And with each detail, we get another piece of the puzzle that makes up Francis Ha's life. As she navigates her difficult New York existence, we learn of the estrangement of her best friend Sophie, the endless search for a place to live, and even the $3 surcharge he must pay at the ATM. Most importantly, Gerwig and Baumbach paint a compelling portrait of a woman who doesn't always make the right choices, who doesn't even always learn from her mistakes, but it is never anything less than human and interesting. I spoke with Noah Baumbach about shooting the film in black and white, and he said that it made him look at his hometown of New York City just a little bit differently. You know, I think for me, in a way, shooting in black and white kind of allowed me to see New York with new eyes. You know, I, I could, I could, because um, it's a city I know so well and have so many associations with, and I was also coming back to New York having shot a movie in Los Angeles. Greenberg was a movie I'd made before. And so I, I think, I didn't think of this so much, del, you know, consciously at the time, but I, in retrospect, I think sort of by looking at it in black and white, you kind of see a new city. It's like the same city, but it's different. And it kind of allowed me to, maybe it kind of freed me up in a way and, and, and kind of allowed me to, to um, you know, I, I don't know, find sort of n new new things, uh, you know, visually. I loved the character of Frances Ha, so I asked Greta if she had some idea what might have happened to her after the end credits rolled. This is what she had to say. There's a kind of inherent melancholy to them of this, that when they're done, they're done and there is no more film. Like, that's all the life you get of these people. And I think that there's something I've always loved about that, but I it, it drove me to re-watch every film I loved. It's almost like you're looking for there to be more than there is of that life. And I was always kind of, I, when, when DVDs started happening and they'd put out like deleted scenes, I in theory loved them, but in reality hated them because it was like, wait, you didn't tell me there was this life. Like, it, it sort of felt like a cheat or something. Right. Like, I don't know. I was so committed to this being the only thing that there was. And I don't know. I, I, I sort of, I think there's this sense of like, even when you start a film, you know, it will end and there's no more of it. I think that feeling is, I don't know. I love it. It's like why I love theater too. It's got that feeling of like, that's going to be all there is of that play mm -hmm. or all. The, and I mean, I would love to revisit Francis because selfishly I loved playing her, but I also know that even if I revisited her, it would have a terminus. It wouldn't right. be infinite. One of the great pleasures of Frances Ha is Greta Gerwig's naturalistic performance. So I asked her, how difficult is it to make it look that easy on screen? This is what she had to say. Well, um, I'm, I'm very 
it's it's a it's always flattering when people say, "Oh, it looks just so mm-hmm. spontaneous and like it just happened." But I think, I mean, it's a multi-part process, and I think it starts when we wrote the script together, which is we spend a long time trying to make it sound both lifelike, but but better than life. But it, it's so the writing process takes care of a lot of the the feeling of the film, I think, yeah. because we really stick to the script. But then. It's the way, I mean, it's it's the way Noah directs. Uh, he, as when you're acting for him, he, you do it so many times, but it, it doesn't, it, it allows you to find all these different layers so that by the time that you get to the end of all of the takes, you have this performance that feels like multidimensional and like you can almost touch it because it feels so... Because life is never just one color. It's always a, a lot of colors, and it takes time to work that into a performance. And the way he directs Mickey and I and everyone, it's guiding us in these very minute ways so that we feel free, but also that we're giving all these different variations. That's it for today. My look at three films for you to stream, rent, or buy to have a look at to help fill the minutes that we find ourselves when we're sitting here in self-isolation. I hope it's going well for you. I hope you're staying safe and healthy. Remember, wash your hands, stay inside, don't touch your face, and we'll get through this one movie at a time. I'm Richard Cross. Thanks for listening.